0: The legal cannabis industry has unlocked generational wealth opportunities across the country. But the industry's regulatory complexities, constant state of change, and speed of evolution drive confusion for entrepreneurs and investors alike. On this podcast, we'll interview the industry leaders who are shaping the future of the legal cannabis industry to help our listeners understand these idiosyncrasies. This is Cannabis Unlocked, hosted by Key Investment Partners. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Cannabis Unlocked. I'm Jordan Euclid, one of the founding partners of Key Investment Partners, and today I'm honored to be joined by the CEO and founder of SpringBig, Jeff Harris. Jeff, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate the time, and thanks for
0: uh, inviting me to join you. Absolutely uh, I'm excited to be here. Absolutely, and I'm excited to be having you on uh, the first podcast episode of 2022. So, thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Of course, of course. So just as a, a little point of background uh, you know, I know we know each other because you guys are obviously invested with us, but the, I mean, I started my career in the loyalty business. I actually founded a loyalty marketing agency that actually is still in existence and is still operating. I'm not active in that business anymore. I left uh, active management of that business about six, seven, about seven years ago. Um, but that business really is in the business of helping Retailers, financial services companies, insurance companies with their data driven marketing and loyalty programs. And what was so great about that business, as I was involved with it for almost 20 years, is it really informed me about how loyalty marketing works, how data driven marketing works. And after I left the active management of that business, I was trying to think about okay, what am I going to do? And we originally looked at the idea of starting Spring Big, not for the cannabis industry. We actually started it as kind of like a a digital punch card system for like the small businesses. So if everybody probably there aren't any anymore, but back in the day, when you would go to a yogurt shop, you would buy a yogurt, they'd give you a punch card, they would punch one. And then after 10 punches, you would get a free yogurt. We, there were a couple of companies that were popping up that were digitizing that whole system. And recording who you were so therefore they could start marketing to you via text and email and we thought that it would be a good opportunity for us to enter that business there's millions of small businesses so it was a big market opportunity a big tan and uh, we said let's go for it so we we built I took my CIO from our other company and I said hey Mark you want to come over and start Spring Big with me so Mark Horbaugh was our second employee and he took the job of building the technology the digital the digital punch card technology, I took the job of trying to figure out who we're going to sell to and how we're going to get this thing off the ground from a marketing and a sales standpoint. I said, okay, tell me when the technology is ready, we'll get going. So we then, um, he told me when the technology was ready. I then partnered with another friend of mine who owned a merchant processing business that serviced a lot of these small retailers. And kind of like we leveraged his merchants to be able to start selling spring big into these merchants. So we actually started selling it to the yogurt shops, the pizza shops, and those guys. And, fat, and this is now 2014, but fast forward to 2016, we had about four, four or 500 retailers on the platform. But the way that this industry, was, that industry was going is you could only command between 100 to $200 a month subscription fee. So when I looked at it, I said, okay, for us to get from where we are to where we would want to be you know from a revenue and a profitability standpoint at 100 to 200 dollars a month we're going to need thousands and thousands and thousands of these guys and and the challenge that we were having um although we were selling but we weren't selling at the pace that we were happy with is because the owner of the yogurt shop is not really in the yogurt store that often you know and and they but yet they're the decision maker for things of this nature so it was difficult for us to get to the decision maker it was it was difficult for us to raise the monthly subscription. So we were really sitting here in, it's probably now July, August, September of 2016. And we're saying, OK, what are we going to do with this thing, right? Um, you know, Jeff was, fun- was funding most of it himself, right? So I was doing most of the funding and I'm saying, OK, what are we going to do? So we looked at our portfolio of customers and we said, wow, there's these two cannabis retailers in California and at that time California was still medicinal right so it was a was it was a med state not a rec state and but these guys were spending a thousand twelve hundred dollars a month so we looked into it a little bit more and we said okay why are these guys spending so much more than the yogurt shop and we realized two big differences one is that their databases were larger and two they were communicating a lot more frequently they were leveraging our communications tools so I said, so, I've always said, I'm not the smartest guy around, but I'm not the dumbest guy either. I said, okay, if we got guys that are spending a thousand and we got guys that are spending a hundred, maybe it'd be a good idea to focus on the customers that are spending a thousand versus a hundred. So, we then um, reached out to our family, had invested in now one of the probably two or three largest vertically integrated multi state operators. We had invested very early. So, I actually went to that CEO and I said, hey, um, we have this technology. Uh, we have two cannabis retailers on it. We think there's a big opportunity in cannabis. What do you think? So, you know, Netty Net, said, well, Jeff, there's one other company in the space that is doing something similar. At that time, it was Baker Technologies out of Colorado. Um, he says, but there's a lot of room. This industry is growing so fast. There's obviously room for more than one player. There's going to be room for 10 players, obviously, as the industry grows. He said, I think it's a great idea. I think you should do it. And I would like to invest. I said, awesome. Terrific. So we basically then made a decision at the end of 2016 that we were going to, when we came back from Christmas break or New Year's break, that we were going to be all in on the cannabis industry. We weren't going to kick off any of the other retailers that had signed up for the platform, but we weren't going to focus on that. And And, you know, we came back early 17 and we were all in cannabis. So I kind of look at Spring Big 2.0 really started
0: in January of 17. That's fantastic. And so as you talked about the usage rates of cannabis retailers being so much higher than these non-cannabis players, I'm curious, what do you think are some of the reasons that cannabis players relied on Spring Big Services so much more than non-cannabis operators?
1: Yeah. Well, I feel like number one, you know, I think the cannabis industry in general is one where they're they are hoping and to some extent expecting customers to be frequenting their stores more frequently than you would if you were a yogurt shop or, or one of these other places. So although it doesn't happen that way in every market, obviously, but in some markets there, you know, you, we actually see in some, like in the state of Washington, as an, as an example, you'll see customers visiting three, four, five times a week, right? So it was kind of in, it was akin in my mind to kind of like what a coffee shop will do, right? And how often a coffee shop would market to you. Um, and I feel like, you know, because it was a a growing industry that was growing every day, databases were growing every day. So not only were we seeing more frequent marketing from these stores, but we were seeing their databases grow much faster than a yogurt shop database or a pizza shop database and, and things of that nature. I feel like, you know, when we look at it, I think because, you know, the cannabis industry, there's such an affinity for the product, you know, people are wanna buy it more, they shop more, they use it more. Now the question is what retailer are they gonna to go to to buy the product? And you know, cannabis also is pretty limited from a marketing standpoint because a lot of the marketing channels that may be available outside of cannabis are more restricted in cannabis because a lot of the major companies that offer those channels, whether it be a Google or whether it be Facebook or Instagram, are much tougher on cannabis retailers than they are on non-cannabis retailers so email and text message marketing in particular and now you know now that Apple and Google have opened up their uh, their place their stores for uh, their app stores the ability to add apps and push notifications are the main ways that you know retailers and brands quite frankly are engaging with customers
0: yep and that's a great point you bring up around the challenges associated with marketing for cannabis businesses, because I think a lot of our listeners will uncertainly have heard of the issues with banking and financial services in cannabis, but may many of them are probably less familiar with some of those challenges associated with marketing to the end product. And that was certainly, one of the main uh, merits that attracted uh, our firm to investing in Spring Big is is how well you had been able to tackle that problem initially for retailers and then also with with the brands platform that's been developed over the last year. Um, And so I'd love to get your thoughts on going forward. How do you think those uh, marketing limitations or challenges will evolve as potentially new regulations, like say banking are passed? Uh, And to your point that, you know, you've seen places like Apple and Google now permitting apps to be produced. How how do you think the landscape for marketing services will develop in cannabis over the next call it 24 months?
1: I think, I think it will, will loosen up a bit over time. I don't think over the next 12 to 24 months, it will loosen up honestly, but I think over time it'll loosen up, but I don't think it's going to be the same. I don't think the, the rules for Facebook, Instagram, Google are going to be the same for cannabis as they are for like pizza shops, as an example, because even, even federally legal, like let's take alcohol as an example, let's take firearms as an example. These are other categories that are federally legal, but for, you can't, you, there's, there's limitations on how you could advertise, who you could advertise through, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram don't necessarily let you go ahead and blast, you know, alcohol related advertisements and things of that nature. So the, So the issues I think that are here may get relaxed a bit but they won't get relaxed to the same extent that you have pizza shops or things of that nature the other thing i think that's important to note let's assume they do get relaxed right the at the end of the day what springbig is offering as a as a marketing automation platform to help retailers and brands get more connected to their consumers is we're giving them the firepower of who do they want to talk to because we have all this data that's coming in off of the point of sale because we're using it to calculate loyalty points for the loyalty programs that our software is helping the retailers run so we're getting in all this data so we're able to help retailers be smarter about what segments do they want to talk to when do they want to talk to them what do they want to say and how do they best want to say it now what the delivery channel for that uh, message right now it's it's text email and push but it could just as easily be facebook messaging it could just as easily be instagram there's so many meaning you know to us the, the value we think the secret sauce that we have is yes it is one of our elements of secret sauce is getting that message delivered yes that is a piece of it but the real secret sauce is helping retailers figure out who do they want to talk to and what do they want to say what method they use to me is less important than you know helping So the value that we provide to retailers is not only the ability to get their messaging delivered to the customer, but helping them be smarter about who they wanna talk to and what they wanna say. So regardless of whether the rules are less relaxed or more relaxed, we believe we still are in a nice position to help our clients uh, get their messages across. Because even if they're gonna use Facebook or Instagram, they still need the information And they need that information synthesized and organized in a way that makes it easy for them to figure out who they want to talk to and what they want to say. So either way, we think we're in a good position.
0: That's great. And what do you think, uh, as you talk about that secret sauce, has made Spring Big successful when some of those legacy platforms have been unsuccessful? And then going forward, as more of the traditional tech players may try to get into cannabis or some of these other cannabis techs look to... Uh, encroach on your position in the market? How do you expect to be able to defend against this?
1: Yeah. So I feel like, you know, I think business is hard. Um, you know, there's no easy wins. I mean, I think the first couple years when we were, when we were trying when we were chasing some of those legacy players, I think it was hard. And then for a little while, it got a little easier because we had, you know, we had chased them and we had a good reputation. I think what makes us, what, you know, the secret sauce, what makes us different is, you know, we think about what goes into that platform that is going to be most useful to the customer. Um, you have two very different types of customers in cannabis. You have, which you probably have in every industry, right? You have the small players, or what I'll call the very successful mom and pop players, and then you have the large, you know, MSOs and large vertically integrated operators. and And, and those businesses look at tools like this differently. So, number one, we think we did a very good job at making sure that the platform is going to be meaningful and useful to the mom and pop player or the one to two or three store chain, as well as the large MSO. But number two, we dumped it down to the point where we make it easy for the client to leverage it and take advantage of. it. Now, we also have done years of work to get point of sale integrations and e-commerce integrations. But at the end of the day, we would be foolish to think that There are not going to be new entrants, whether they be new entrants that are focusing on cannabis, and there always are, Um, every year or two there's a new entrant, or possibly new entrants coming in from outside of cannabis. So what we have to focus on is, okay, what is it that we need to be doing, both in terms of a product strategy, a sales strategy, a uh, account management or client success strategy that's going to do a good job at making sure that the platform is attractive to the customers we want to sell it to? That our service is excellent because, you know, you know, we're a software as a service business. A lot of people forget the last S in service, but we believe that's really important. You gotta provide great service. And we have to be thinking about, and we're always talking to our customers about, okay, what other things are you buying uh, that are that is helping you engage with customers? You know, when we talk about kind of like the purpose of SpringBig, it's to help our clients get their consumers to act. So when we think about, okay, what else can we be providing our clients to get them smarter and get their consumers to act, we see that as an opportunity to continue to evolve the platform to help them accomplish that.
0: That's great. And so shifting gears a little bit, uh, I believe it's now a couple months where you announced a major transaction where you'll be going public via a SPAC. And so we'd love to just get some more context as to how that transaction came about, What uh, made you decide to uh, go public by the SPAC route as well?
1: Yeah. So when we we made a decision in early, about a year ago, that we were going to be looking at our strategic options, we felt that 20 and 21, that 21 and 22 in particular, were going to be a time of consolidation in the industry. And we felt that we wanted to get ahead of that and be in a position uh, to be a consolidator versus being a consolidate. So um, we engaged with, uh, actually we engaged with Jeffries, an investment bank who's been great and very helpful for us. And we started a process and we looked at really two options. I mean, you know, we kind of, we looked at in what I'll call you know, venture capital, private equity or growth equity. And we looked at the SPAC opportunity. And then we did kind of take a quick look and seeing if there was somebody out there that was outside of cannabis that was interested in getting into cannabis and being an acquirer. But that kind of, uh, we looked and and passed on that real quick, because I don't think anybody was ready uh, Mm -hmm. at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And as we went through the process, you know, we felt if we want to be a consolidator, um, having a public currency um, not only helps us, you know, grow non-organically, we felt a bit faster. But the other piece of it is that we felt strongly about is there's always when private companies are trying to merge or acquire with other private companies, there's this discussion on both sides about what each company is worth, right? And that's a big part of making a deal happen, right? What each company is worth. What we felt by being in the public arena, there would be no discussion about what we're worth because everyone can just go look and see what we're worth every day. And then the question really is, okay, what's the company that we wanna merge with or bring into the fold worth? So we felt there was gonna be a more efficient process to be a consolidator. Um, We felt that we'd be able to put a good amount of cash on the balance sheet and also have the NASDAQ currency. Um, as an opportunity. So we we thought that this was probably the best move for us if, if in fact we want to execute, which we do, on the non-organic strategy that we have.
0: That's great. And obviously the last couple quarters, the SPAC market has cooled off quite a bit in large part due to lack of investors in pipes behind the SPACs. And so we'd love to get your thoughts around how you got comfortable with the softness in the SPAC market recently and, and how you're thinking internally about potential redemptions from that SPAC before the de occurs.
1: I'll start off by saying I'm still anxious. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, we, we're tracking it pretty carefully. And and what we found is there's really, you know, there's not, there's like, there are the SPACs that come out that have less than 10% redemption. There's the SPACs that come out that have 90% redemption. There are some now starting where you're seeing 35, 45, 50% redemption. So obviously we're great if we're in that 10% redemption camp. We're not so great if we're in the 90% camp, but we actually are pretty good if we're in the 40 to 50% camp because, you know, the Tuatara SPAC is a, it's a $200 million SPAC. Um, we raised, uh, I think, 13 million so far in the pipe. The pipe is open. There are some people that are looking at the pipe. So at the end of the day, like if, if let's assume there's 40% redemption, we're still going to be left after expenses with 120, 130 million dollars on the balance sheet, which is more than enough for us to execute the first couple of phases of our non-organic consolidation strategy. The um, and we are and, and and what we thought about as a way to help us there is we just wanted to be very realistic with the investor community in terms of. How much revenue we're going to generate in 21, which we hit our number for 21, and what we expect our growth rates to be in 22 and 23. So, therefore, when people look at us, they say, okay, these guys aren't projecting something that seems so unreasonable based on their past historical performance, which we think is going to help us get more support. We've had probably 35 or 40 investor meetings, most of them have gone well. People like the story, people like the way we've uh, managed our growth expectations and our growth projections. So, you know, we're, we're feeling good about it, but I don't want you to, I, I don't want to say that, wow, this is the lot because, sure. you know, probably in the middle of March is when we'll know when those votes happen, but, you know, we're feeling good that we believe that we could stay 50% or lower on the redemptions, which would be fine.
0: That's great. And, you know, from Key's perspective, we initially invested back in August of 2020. And for all the reasons that you've just mentioned. And of course, just the phenomenal execution you and the team have proven over the last year and a half is what led us to uh, be excited to commit additional capital into this pipe financing as well. So, so
1: yeah, which, which we appreciate. It's like, I can't tell you how meaningful it's been when we've had investor meetings to be able to say that, um, multiple investors in SpringBig have committed to the pipe. That's that goes, that goes such a long way. Um, You know, because although it's not a big pipe yet, but we had, you know, you were you guys invested and other two investors invested on the spring big side to Atari invested on the pipe so we actually are showing that the people that have probably know the most right because they've been involved with the company the longest like the story and are willing Mm -hmm. to continue to uh, support the story so that's that's been super helpful and. And I have to say the banks have done a nice job, both uh, Jeffries on our side and Cantor on, on the Tuatara side and in lining up what I feel were really meaningful investor up meetings to be able to tell the story. And, uh, and, you know, we learned a lot through those meetings, through the questions that they're asking, but I think, you know, they liked it and enjoyed the story as well.
0: That's great. And if there are folks listening to this podcast who are either retail or institutional investors who would maybe be interested in participating in the pipe or investing post-DSPAC, uh, is there a website they can reach out to, or look at to, to get more information or, or any contacts at Jeffries they should reach out to? Yeah,
1: I think until until the DSPAC, I think they would go to the Tuatara Capital um, website, which is which is the company that is, you know, the SPAC that's purchasing Spring Big, And mm-hmm. once the DSPAC uh, occurs, then it would be springbig.com.
0: Okay, great.
1: Yeah.
0: And so you talked a lot about how having this war chest of capital will really help SpringBig execute on your non-organic growth strategy and certainly understand if, if you don't want to disclose anything, but I'm curious if there are certain areas or sectors within the industry that you think are ripe for consolidation and fit well within uh, SpringBig's overall strategy.
1: Well, if you, from a macro standpoint, you step back at 30,000 feet, right? I think that there's a lot of interesting Um, ancillary or, you know, non-plan touching software that has been built, has been developed, um, is either getting into the market or has been in the market, but for whatever reason, they haven't scaled yet. Um, Or they've scaled, but they haven't scaled to be, you know, a $20 million plus annual revenue company. So, So first, we think that there's a lot of opportunity to merge with what, I'll, what I think are great software companies that, for whatever reason, haven't scaled yet. And in terms of now dropping it down to 10,000 feet, what are the categories that we're looking at? We're looking at the categories that are, are, are software platforms that are helping retailers and brands better engage with their consumers. So whether that be in-store opportunities to help better engage and drive up average ticket, whether it be other software platforms that are helping brands better understand consumer behavior and how that affects their business and what they could and how they could leverage it to be smarter about marketing to the customer. So things of that nature are what we're looking at. So we actually have put together a list of you know companies on, in the insights or data side. We've looked in the, within the in-store marketing side obviously the e-commerce side. So we're looking at all of these opportunities and trying to figure out, okay, what are the pieces that we could bring together that accomplish two things? One, bring revenue, right? Because you know, when you're buying or merging with someone, they're expecting you to drive revenue up. And two, how do we then expand our service offering? So we have more things to sell our customer base and we get more customers to sell them to. So, so those have been the strategy. Um, we, I can't disclose it, but we actually have one company under LOI now, um, which is great. Um, and we have a couple of more that we're talking to.
0: That's great. And so you talked about the competition heating up going forward. And, you know, obviously last year we started to see some pretty high profile transactions in the cannabis tech side of things. Obviously, Dutchie raising at a large valuation, Weedmap successfully de uh, LeafLink, um, you know, we, we all know raised from Founders Fund. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on going forward. Do you expect that that consolidation is going to continue? And, you know, how many large Canada Tech players do you expect there will be over the coming years? So I do think
1: there's going to be consolidation. I think there's probably going to be five to 10 uh, large Canada Tech players, probably over time. Um, and, And we have to be thinking about any one of these large players could be a competitor tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They may not be a competitor today, but they could definitely be a competitor tomorrow. And, you know, that's the world we live in, right? You know, every, everyone has an opportunity to go after the business that they want to go after. And, you know, what we have to keep doing is we have to continue to develop and evolve, you know, not only the platform, but the business and the other services that come together with it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so we continue to stay ahead. I think, I think it's kind of, it's, it's not easy, right? Like, you know, we know this for a fact, right? Because we started off servicing retailers and then we created a platform for brands. It's not easy to create businesses from scratch. It's not easy to integrate them. So like, and especially if they're not going to be right within kind of like the, the middle of the fairway of what you're doing. So if you, you know, take a Dutchie as an example or an iHeartJane as an example, which, you know, I'm just very respectful of what they've been able to accomplish they've done great stuff but you know they're 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 in the operational transactional processing lane right so the marketing lane is a bit different than that and you know so they may decide to get into it they may not but at the end of the day we believe that we have such a head start on the marketing lane that you know, we just got to keep plugging forward, pushing mm-hmm. forward, and staying ahead. And then I think we're going to be okay. Does that mean we're never going to lose a customer to someone that comes in? Of course not. I mean, but at the you know, but at the end of the day, as this business continues to mature and it continues to grow, because if you if you think about it, like New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, these states aren't even open for business yet. I mean, Connecticut is to some extent from a medicinal side, or New York, but they're not really open for. I mean, there's just so much green grass. Yeah. Um, we're, we're okay with, with our position there. And, you know, and expecting more competitors and, and it, that's just the way it's gonna be.
0: Yep, absolutely. That's the way it's gonna be. Yep. And so thinking about the fact that you're not a plant touching business has obviously enabled you to list publicly on a SPAC on the NASDAQ, certainly should be a, a large advantage over a number of the plant touching businesses who for regulatory reasons are forced to list on minor exchanges up in Canada. And so I'm curious, I mean, how do you think that these capital markets dynamics will develop as more institutional investors are able to get into the cannabis side of things?
1: Yeah, uh, we were really excited about the ability to list on NASDAQ. We think uh, access to capital um, is much larger and uh, more efficient when you're listing on NASDAQ. I also think the retail investor um, who wants to participate in cannabis, it's more difficult for them. To participate on it when they're, you know, when stocks are listed in Canada, they don't understand it, they don't have account, you know. So we believe that there's going to be an opportunity both from an institutional perspective as well as a retail investor perspective to, you know, and, and as this industry continues to heat up, like at the beginning of last year, it was heating up and then it kind of cooled down a little bit because mm-hmm. things didn't move as fast as people thought they were gonna move. But it's gonna heat up again because you know, there's gonna to continue to be positive movement for this industry. And we like our position of being one of the few companies on the NASDAQ that investors will be able to participate in the cannabis industry on the NASDAQ.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, we often joke internally at Key about how um, headline driven the public markets of cannabis are today, right? And how there's such little correlation with what's actually going on, on the ground, right? Like you'll see a huge spike after some bill gets proposed in Congress that everyone knows has no real Chance of actually getting passed. Meanwhile, all these MSOs publish Q3 results. They're growing 25% quarter over quarter, and the market trades down. So it's it's so funny to see. Yeah,
1: it's it's insane, right? Like you know, you look at it; the, these companies are doing well, <laughs> and yeah, and, and they're and they're and they're hitting, and they're hitting the expectations that they set out there. And yet, you know, they're you're right. Literally, they'd be trading down, and then all of a sudden something happens that has nothing to do with their business and all of a sudden they're trading up 10%, right? So for sure. And I feel like, like as a, you know, as a company that's going to be on the NASDAQ, you know, we're going to be able to take advantage of those mood swings um, because we think that the mood swings will be, we'll be able to get more play on the mood swings, I think on the up, I mean, and then to manage against the downside, we just got to make sure that we are, our fundamentals are there. Like we're, you know, we're communicating the proper growth percentages, we're hitting on those percentages, we're making the right you know, decisions in terms of non-organic growth, which I believe we're gonna be in position to do that. And then I think, so I think we're gonna cover our downside. And I think the upside is when these mood swings happen, I think we'll be able to participate in those because of where we're listed.
0: That's great. And I think it's also so smart of you and the team's planned for your projections on the SPAC in terms of being incredibly conservative. You know, that's a place where we've seen other specs maybe trade down or even fall apart when they just created projections that were far too uh, optimistic and that, you know, eventually bit those companies.
1: Yeah, and also, f- like for me personally, right, as the, you know, as the current CEO of the business, the, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go into it, you know, feeling like we're behind before we even get started, right? Mm-hmm. That's like, you know, you don't sleep really well if you're like, if you're going into it when you're behind on day one before you know so therefore setting up the expectations correctly and then and being able to give the team kind of like the the goalposts that we're looking for that they can believe in, also because we say hey we did this last year we can do this this year um you know it just helps the vibe of the business feel so much better where you're not playing catch up before you even get started
0: absolutely and so jeff to wrap things up here Obviously, you mentioned hoping to get this back all finalized by March. Outside of that, what are some of the big initiatives that you and the team have for 2022?
1: So we, you know, our growth expectation is 60% year over year, which is what we did in in 21 over 20. So um, we have that expectation from a revenue perspective. Um, We have the expectation of probably finalizing one, possibly two non-organic um, opportunities in 22 um, to really set us up for 23. You know, what, what our, our board, the Tuatara board, what everyone has kind of, you know, been telling me is that the faster we can get to $100 million in revenue, uh, the better off we're going to be. So, so our, our objective over the next two to three years, you know, how do we get from the $24 million to the $100 million? Uh, Both through organic growth and growth of the industry and growth of services that we offer, along with the non-organic side. So that's uh, so that's what we're really focused on. We're focused on making sure that 22 um, we deliver on what we told people we're going to deliver because it's the first year out and it's the most important year to do that. But also, how do we get to that hundred million dollar
0: revenue? Absolutely. Well, that's great, Jeff, and we'll be excited to see how you end up getting to that hundred million dollars. And thank you again. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for the
1: time. And thank you for the support. We really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for doing such an excellent job and being great stewards of our capital. Have a great day. Yeah, you too, Jeff. Take care.